attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Barry Cohen. Barry Cohen came to me through Brian Borstein and we had a lot of fun. Uh, we told some great stories. I learned some things I didn't know. You're going to like it. There's uh, some nice stories in there. You're totally going to dig that. Before we get to that, of course, you know what's on the horizon. We are now just a little over a month away from OJ90, the 90th summer celebration. We've been talking about it forever, but it's it's imminent. And if you have not gotten your tickets or booked your hotel room, the time is now. Or for that matter, gotten yourself a, an ad in the program book. Uh, the deadline on that is actually very close. It's this week. So head over to oj90.com, oj90.com. You can do everything from there. You can learn all the details about the event, get all the timing down for what time you're supposed to show up that night. You can buy your tickets. You can book your hotel room at a special rate, uh, best rate on the North Shore for that weekend. I'll tell you that. You can buy yourself an ad in the program book. You can see who else is coming. The RSVP list, very important. See which friends are going to be there and make sure you want to be there with them to celebrate 90 summers in the history of the greatest place on earth, Camp Ojibwa for Boys. Okay, that's enough housekeeping for this week. Here we go. Barry Cohen on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. So far and wide Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside uh, First and foremost, please say your name and your years at camp Barry Cohen 12 years at Camp Ojibwa from 1968 through 1980 Very nice uh, And did you go by any nicknames while you were at camp? <laughs> Funny that you asked that <laughs> Right off the bat uh, Right off the bat So... I started off in cabin one, and I did the route one, two, four, five, seven, ten, twelve. One year in cabin thirteen. I was a JC for three years, and we'll go into that in a second. Oh, I see. Why? Okay. Very, very unique. Uh, senior okay. concert for one year. I missed 1979. I wanted to stay home for the summer, and then came back in 1980. Gotcha. Going back to your original question about. Nicknames, unfortunately for myself, Uh-oh. <laughs> I have a nickname that is probably my legacy, and most people know me by that nickname. It's a nickname that I will probably also carry to my grave. So in cabin four, Rory Mink was my, was my senior counselor at the time, okay. and this is 1970. And around the second week of camp, as is a tradition, I'm assuming it still is, 
the counselors would write home to the parents. With a postcard, giving the parents an update how your kid is doing, et cetera. Sure. So when it came to my time, Rory wanted some information, an address, and the name of my parents. So at the time, I'm walking up to the front of the cabin, and I happened to be eating an ice cream at the time, you know, a treat from that night. It was hot out. And the ice cream had spilled all over me. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm basically wearing this ice cream cone. And Rory asks what my parents' name was. And my dad's name is Arnold. So he says, you're a pig. Look, look, look at you. Arnold Ziffel. And this name, Ziffel, unfortunately stuck to me from their point forward. Wow. So people started to know me as Ziffel. Um, or Arnold Ziffel. Um, when I see people to this day, they won't call me by Barry. They'll call me by Ziffel or Arnold or Z or whatever. Um, if you look in the, which I was doing the last few days, I was going back to some of the old warrior. Sure. And of course, you know, there's always a nickname. And from about cabin four forward, maybe I think with one exception, um, that name Ziffel was always my middle name. Um, in addition to that, as I got older and involved in stunt nights, I even made a cameo appearance, appearance as, <laughs> as Arnold Ziffel. In fact, uh, the, the year that I was lucky enough to win uh, the week as an assistant uh, counselor, and when I was a third-year JC, part of the stunt. Was there was a, even a part in the stunt written for, for, for Ziffel. It's just part of the stunt. So... <laughs> Wow. The, it's a long answer to a simple question, a nickname, and I did not know the, the uh, treasure trove. We were uh, absolutely, into. absolutely. And so. for you kids at home who don't know what we're talking about, Arnold Ziffel was a very intelligent pig on a very popular TV show called Green Acres. Yes, and uh, and he didn't talk or anything, but he, he was very intelligent and did a lot of smart stuff. So I want to dis- <laughs> I want to dispel the thing, the belief that I was sloppy, that I always spilled food all over myself, and I was a pig. That was not the case, with the exception of one time. It was a one-shot deal. Which then stuck with me, and it stuck with me for the rest of my life. So (laughs) that um, hopefully will explain the reason why I got this infamous nickname that I will never live down. Very nice. (laughs) So going back to the beginning, uh, how do you first hear about Camp Ojibwe? Great question. I was one of the uh, few Southsiders. Mm. Um, there was only, you know, a small portion of us that came from the South South. Yeah, especially into the 60s. Right, let, point, let yeah. alone the South Suburbs. And at the time, this was around 1968, and we were actually, we lived in the South Side of Chicago, around 91st and Stony, and we were moving out south to Flossmore. Gotcha. We were also members of one of the two Jewish country clubs out there called Ravislow. And if my memory is, is correct, um, I believe the Matazars were also members. I might have that wrong. We'll have to do some fact-checking on that. <laughs> but either way, um, through the connection with the Matazars, um, the parents, they told my parents about Ojibwa. Gotcha. And so I went through the L coming to the house showing me the the uh, the movies nice and uh you know i i i you know at eight years old you don't know any better right my parents wanted to give it a go and that's how i was informed or my family was informed to to send me to ojibwa nice 
And when you go to camp, you take the buses? I did. And so did you have to go into the city to meet the bus? Or? I did. Okay. I, I had to go into Adler Planetarium, nice. which is where the South Siders. We only had one <laughs> bus. Everyone else had two bus, right. two buses at each stop. And the uh, the first year was an interesting year because I, you know, there's you're, you're a small kid, so I don't really have much of a recollection other than getting in a fight one time with a camper who, you know, almost ripped off my ear. And wow. um, I remember visiting weekend uh, that first year when I was in Cabin One. This is 1968. And at that time, visiting weekend was a little bit different, if I recall. Again, sure. correctly, it was more of a three-day, you know, Friday evening, Saturday, and I think a Sunday breakfast. And, right. you know, my father um, told the story many years later at my wedding about Ojibwa <laughs> um, that I ran out of the cabin several times when they were leaving on that Sunday. I didn't want to stay. Uh. And my dad said, if you come out one more time, this kid comes out one more time, I'm taking him with me. Well, I didn't come out that one more time. And I also think it was that time that, that my father and my mom, they knew that maybe I wasn't having the best time after the first four weeks. Right. They spoke to Al, and I think Al kind of took me under his tutelage, so to speak, and, and I became a very, you know, a, a good friend of Al. He, always, mm. he was always looking out for me, always calling me by, by, by my name as the years went on. You know, he knew me. And he knows all the campers, not that I was an exception. But sure. I think with my parents sitting down with Al and maybe trying to look out for me, um, I think that helped me kind of persevere through that first year and obviously onward into the next, you know, to the next decade. Yeah. Um, on my trip home that first year, uh, talking about the bus, I got sick. And threw oh. up like six or seven times on the bus. Oh, yeah. So that was not a good experience. So the whole first year experience <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't the best. But yeah. you know, it's I, pretty amazing you came back after. Absolutely, that. it was just a great. You know, overall, it was a great. You know, years back as I look at it, um, it was a great learning, a great growing experience for yeah. me. And um, and they said we'll send you back the second year. We'll give it one more time. And you know, when I was in cabin two uh, that second year, I had a much better year, and obviously that helped me uh, continue to go back for there. Years, yeah. years thereafter. Now, as far as talking about uh, Al taking you under his wing, were there other staff guys, like counselors along the way? And not just your first year, but just in general that you really clicked with, guys that you really like, you know, you remember? I, I, you know, I was sort of middle of the pack. I, I, I certainly wasn't one of the favorites. Like sure. Some campers always were, you know, d- during the course of the year. Certainly, um, as the Matazars grew, got older a little bit, both Rick and mostly Rick, a little bit David as well, they looked out for me a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, as I was going through the ranks. Um, but I, I can't really pinpoint whether there was one counselor that had a, an impact gotcha. on me or not, other than, unfortunately, my Rory Mink story that <laughs> gave me that infamous nickname. I say he had a pretty big impact, so yes, he other did. than that, there you go. Yes, he did. Um, likewise, going through, uh, who are your guys that are your age group that you sort of stick with throughout that become your friends uh, in the long term? Uh, you know, there, there, there was, there was you know, quite a few people, quite a few people. I mean, I, I got to know a lot of uh, different people, certainly uh, people, one of my best friends, and he actually he stood up on my, was my best man of the many, was, uh, was, was Michael Burr, mm-hmm. you know, and Bruce, obviously his older brother. Mike and I became, uh, you know, good friends as the years went on. You know, one time I was a friend, good friend with uh, Jay Mendez. I certainly became friends with you know, Brian Borstein, which is what led me here in the first place, right. and Steve Pollan, Steve Bear, and those guys, I, you know, became friendly with them, you know, throughout the years. 
Um, you know, th those are a few guys, uh, you know, that, that, that stuck out a little bit who, who were, were good friends, who I became friendly with and still maintain, you know, some contact, uh, you know, with them. Yeah, for sure. Now, going into camp, were you already, uh, did you already like sports as a kid? Were you already kind of a sports kid or was it more about camp kind of got you there? <laughs> it's, it's, the, uh, it's the latter. Camp yeah. kind of got me there. Um, I like playing soccer and that and it helped mm. a little bit. Uh, I wasn't much of a baseball player, to be honest with you. Camp really helped me with that. As the years progressed, I became a, a, a decent, you know, a 12 inch and, and certainly a 16 inch, yeah. you know, ball player throughout the years. Uh, tennis was another sport that I became um, at least, you know, competitive and, and halfway decent in um, throughout the years. So, absolutely, it was camp that I think helped me become a, a, a better athlete, especially with the instruction and everything sure. else that they had. Uh, and uh, in, in helping us look at a, a lot of different sports and swimming too. You know, mm. I don't think I was much of a swimmer until I, you know, went to Ojibwa and learned how to become a better swimmer. Yeah. Did you guys still do the island swim at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I, I know we did do the island swim. I, I don't recall if there was a, an age bracket that you that, that you can gotcha. that you could swim on the island. But I did do the island swim a few times when nice. I was there. Yeah, that's uh, that's gone away. We only did the one island. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think that was it. It just over time there became it became a little more unsafe. I, re I distinctly remember that when you had to do the you know in camp when you got there the first few days, in order to be qualified to swim in the deep end, you know you had to do the four laps. Right. And I just remember jumping into that water the first days at camp, <laughs> and it was cold, man. It was really cold. And yeah. I remember just like, whoa, you were almost afraid to dive in. But once you got swimming, once you, once you got used to it. Yeah. So, but, you know, the, the waterfront, you know, was I wasn't much of a waterfront person. I wasn't a great skier. I certainly wasn't a great swimmer by, by, by no means the imagination. Sure. But enough that I can, you know, yeah. participate in the, in the activities. Nice. Uh, so going on, uh, you said you got a little better at softball uh, and the other sports. And soccer was not as popular at camp, certainly, then. Um, was there a soccer league? You know, when, when, when was I was – I, I remember, too, and I was – and I sort of reminded myself of this even when I was looking at the Warrior, as I mentioned before mm -hmm. I came in, and uh, I think it was uh, actually the write-up I had in Cabin 4 when my nickname became well-known. Um, you know, I was uh, – or Cabin 5, I should say. I was, uh, you know, the top goal scorer in the soccer bees. So, and I just – soccer was just an easy sport for me to pick up, and I think that helped me a little bit it, You know, because, again – good or bad as it was, if you weren't a halfway decent athlete, unfortunately at Ojibwa, especially at that time, when it was when it was very competitive, sure. um, I think you would have a harder time surviving on the long term. So I was a halfway decent soccer player. I did become at least a halfway decent, you know, uh, a 12 inch, uh, mm. you know, softball player, a 12 inch player as well. Yeah. So uh, again, camp taught me and helped me um, improve on those, on those abilities. Yeah, for sure. Now outside of the, excuse me. Now outside of the sports of camp, there are some other elements. Uh, certainly, elements that I was brought in for, uh, and that is the stage. Uh, camp has always had this other side. That as much as it's a super competitive sports camp, there is a big presence on the stage. And even not knowing that in the beginning, and sort of freaking out a little bit when I got there, I would grow, grow to learn that this is a big part of what we do. Uh, was the rec hall stage a place where you found your, your light? I, I tried, <laughs> but I didn't do too well with it, to be sure. honest with you. I was at best always a bit part in the Jubilee. Mm. I didn't have much of a voice. I tried out for the choir, for the chorus. I never made the chorus. 
Um, the first year I made the Jubilee was in Cabin 7 because Rick Matazar was a senior con was my senior counselor. And he was also, I think, working with Paul James at the time. He was one of gotcha. the, the directors of the Jubilee. So the whole cabin <laughs> made it, regardless of your talent level. Sure. I remember in Cabin 10, I didn't make the Jubilee. And I was so upset. Mm. You know, because by as you got older, it was almost an automatic. You sure. know, the, the higher cabins it was almost an automatic that, that you made the Jubilee. Yeah, and and especially was, what you'd already been in. Yes. Yeah. So when I didn't make it in cabin ten, um, I was I was pretty disappointed. Um, my, my only real acting chops, you know, happened perhaps when I was later. And then going back to the story I told about before with my name, mm. you know, I, I became so infamous, so to speak, with my name, that bit parts were written into stunts <laughs> to incorporate this, this, you know, this nickname sure. and this Arnold Ziffel character somehow or another. A character that you could just embody so realistically. Exactly, sure. exactly. <laughs> so, and, and I think, again, I, when, um, when I was fortunate enough and we'll get to that story in a second about stunt night uh, for Pennsylvania. Again, this is 1978. Um, there was a specific part written for me per, with this character. I don't even recall the extent of it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the answer to your question, it, it wasn't much of a scene for me um, gotcha. at best. You know, I had these bit parts yeah. um, in, uh, you know, in the plays. I did try out for the... Um, the tambour, you know, the, the, oh, the hand routine, the hand sure. routine. Mm -hmm. And my last year I was going to, initially I was, it was between me and another counselor JC cause mm. they had, they have a JC representative right. and the other JC was, was selected for reasons I won't go into here. Nothing personal or anything like that. And it was sure. the right decision. Um, and I was a little disappointed that I didn't make the hand mm. routine, but nevertheless, um, I was, uh, um, happy to see, or, or happy to find out why they made that decision, and it was the right decision at the time. Gotcha. And so other than that, again, just regulated to bit parts and, and, and not much else as it related to my sure. uh, theatrical uh, background with Ojibwa. Well, you mentioned Al a little bit, and you talked about sort of him watching out for you. Uh, talking about Al, were you able to have sort of a personal relationship with Al and Pearl, or was it more uh, they're just campers and we run a business and... The, the truth is, um, I, I I did have a little bit of a personal relationship with Al because mm. he did look out for me, and at times he would you know yell out funnily you know where's my Barry not not Ziffel but where's my Barry he called yes. me by Barry, <laughs> um, as did Danny and as did Mickey, um, so and I respected that and it was more or less maybe a mutual respect um, for Al and myself. So yeah, I, I think it wasn't just that I was a camper. I think I went a, a little bit beyond, and again going back to my first year when I think my parents had sure. reached out to Al when I was maybe struggling with 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 Ojibwa at the time and and that's maybe when he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and then we just developed a, a, a kinship you know between the two of us and we were able to you know maintain that uh, that you know that friendship that's um, throughout uh, until I left you know my last year in 1980. Yeah that's fantastic. And Al was getting a little bit older. What was what was his role like at camp during those years? I guess through the seventies, as you were getting a little older, and you could see it as more of an adult. You know, he was always. I, I always looked at Al as, you know, the leader. Hmm. Um, you know, those mornings when you would wake up and 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 and, and do sure. the stretching and <laughs> up up up. You know, I, I remember those things. I used to imitate and make fun of it, but um, you know, Al. Um, he was he was like your grandfather, 
Mm. You know, that, that grandfather character, and especially when you're 8, 9, 10, 12, 13 years old, and, you know, obviously Al, as, you know, was well into his, uh, you know, 60s, you know, 70s yeah. at the time. Um, that's how I viewed Al, mm. um, as that senior um, character, almost grandfather character. Respect, And that's why I think I always, there was always a mutual respect that I had for Al and, and Pearl. I, not, not so much, I didn't really have much of a of a, an engagement with Pearl as much as I did with Al. Sure. But certainly, yeah. um, Al looked out for me, and he was always kind to me yeah. every time I was there. You bring up a great point in talking about the calisthenics, of course, and that is dip or shower. Now, were you more of a dip guy or more of a shower guy? I was... I was more of a shower guy. Hmm. Yeah, I was more of a shower guy from what I can recall. It seems to be a pretty divisive line. Like, guys are either, <laughs> you know, 90% one or 90% the other. You know, it's... I, I prefer <laughs> going in the shower than jumping into the lake nude. Sure, sure. It is... It is uh, I will tell you, I've not been in the lake in 10 years. There's, oh, wow. <laughs> And part of the reason why, again, because I remember that the lake was always cool. Right. You know, even when we had hot summers, you know, it, would, it wouldn't be hot until, you know, that lake obviously wouldn't heat up until mid-July. And so that was the other thing, that, what probably led me more to the showers than, than dipping because I didn't want to get out freezing my butt off, you know. Yeah. And then shivering and, and everything else. And plus I felt just a little more cleaner, I guess, too. Sure. No. You know, going through the shower. So I was more of a shower guy. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> So uh, we're talking about the, the day of camp a little bit with Dipper Shower and calisthenics, and you mentioned instruction earlier, and of course instruction, um, unfortunately, gone by the way, nah, sort of gone by the wayside these days, but in those days, instruction was a big part of the morning. But uh, obviously, the, the real framework of the day was defined by the meals. So how was the camp food? Loved the camp food. I, 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 I don't really have, I loved it. Mm. You know, when we would have, you know, the Friday night, what was it? Primary? No, not primary. Uh, you know, when we had the Friday night meal, you know, mm-hmm. for the service. Um, Saturdays, uh, when, when, when we had steaks. And uh, I, I loved the food. The food was yeah. outstanding nice. for a camp. Now, granted, I didn't have anything else to compare it to. But as I learned more about Ojibwa and about the culture there and certainly about the food, and, 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 it, they, they, and, they, and they spent a lot of money on their food, too. Yeah. So... You'll have no complaints from me. The pizza, I remember when we would have pizza days, you know, pizza lunches or whatever. You know, the pizza was outstanding. So I loved, I loved the food. Yeah. I did. That was definitely one of the the primary things he told me when he hired me. And it was almost like I didn't even ask the question. He's like, but I want to make sure you know that the food is amazing. Like the food is is the best camp food ever. And I was like, okay. And I think Ojibwe prided themselves on that because mm -hmm. you heard about food at some other overnight camps and perhaps the food wasn't as as outstanding sure. as the reputation that Ojibwe had. Yeah. So yeah, I love the food and always look forward to the canteen, you know, at night and, right. and everything, you know. Oh, and you've got Otto the Baker by that time too. So Otto's making oh, bow ties and Napoleon. Oh, those bow ties were great. <laughs> Otto and 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 um, Katie? Katie, yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah, I was you know, I was there still during I don't know if you want to call it the heyday, you know, when you still had the old timers from way back. Right. But yeah, Otto and Katie and, and, and those bow ties were, were, were great. And then as you became a counselor, you know, especially junior, you know, you had access more to the kitchen. Right. <laughs> so yeah, there were times when I would sneak in with some other guys and get some of that late night food that we probably shouldn't <laughs> have been getting. So, and we were always looking out for those bow ties. Those bow ties were outstanding. Yeah. So moving forward in time, now you interesting that you only have one year in thirteen, but in your three year JC, how does that so, work? So I'll explain that. And there's 
uh, a few things that we'll, we'll, we'll lead into maybe in discussion because there's another huge connection that I have to this camp I see. that is going to stay with me also for the rest of my life, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, when uh, 1978, I remember uh, going, we would have uh, a breakfast, you know, a week or two before camp would start. All the counselors would come mm. in and have a breakfast, you know, sure. with Denny. And I, I don't know if it was JCSC. I, I don't recall the, the specifics of it. Um, at the end of that breakfast, Denny had approached myself and another counselor, Barry Landsman. So this is 1978. We both, Barry and I, were going to be senior counselors. Mm. You know, I'd spent 76 and 77 as a JC. First in cabin one as a JC, which, by the way, 1976 was my first year as a JC. And Denny, so to speak, I remember after that breakfast, he says, you know, I want you in, in, in cabin one because at that time, um, his, his, his Oh, David? David yes. was in cabin one. <laughs> and so he said, he said, you know, I want to make sure I've got the right counselors, the right JCs, and I trust that you're going to be a, you know, a, 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 a good... Um, a good role model for Dave, sure. so to speak. That's so, a, that's I was, so I had the privilege of being in Cabin <laughs> One my first year as a JC, and then I went from one, and then my next year, 1977, I went to Cabin 12. Mm. And uh, and at the time, Paul James was there, I think, um, um, uh, a few other concerts, I don't, don't recall who else I was with, but nevertheless, that third year, so to speak, 1978, when he came back, expecting to be a senior counselor, again, then he came to Barry, to Barry and myself and said, you know, we don't have a, a huge JC staff this year. They were very low on JCs, mm. just didn't have enough returning JCs. And Barry and I, being the youngest of the senior staff, asked us if we would be a junior counselor for one more year. Hmm. And we both, you know, said, sure. I looked at it, hey, this is outstanding because now I can play watermelon one more year. Right. And in the previous year, I, I lost in the championship game. Oh. So, you know, I was always big on this. So I sure. wanted to at least have one more shot at it. Um, thanks, Brian Borstein, for not making that catch in left field. But other than that, in 1977. <laughs> so uh, so that that year was a great year for me in 78. Yeah. Um, because I went back to Kevin once. I went from 1 to 12 to 1, which is probably unique as <laughs> That's far as, a big swing, as, far as any sure. junior counselor is concerned. Right. I was lucky enough, again, to be selected by uh, Brian Edelstein as his uh, assistant for the week, um, Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh, Ken Kaplan was our first pick. And we ended up running away with it at the end. Nice. So it was the only time I won. I came in second place when I was in cabin seven under Penn. In fact, mm. Rick Matazar was, 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 the, was the counselor, who was my counselor, and, and he was the head coach. So it was the only other year that I really had any real success. Yeah. Other than my, my first year, though, in 1968, um, I, did, I was in Pennsylvania, and I took fourth place. So other than that, yeah. I always was okay. at the bottom half. So I won the collegiate week as a junior counselor in my senior year. Nice. And senior year, excuse me, uh, <laughs> as my uh, third year as a JC. I also had uh, the fortune that I had a good watermelon team. Okay. You know, and we, my team, which was coached by um, Jerry Gilbert, we ended up winning the championship in a very dramatic fashion on a game that was suspended for one day because of darkness. We had to, then we had to continue the game the next day. Wow. Uh, and it was in the last inning or two, and I just remember it was, you know, two outs, bottom of the seventh, down by a run, and 
I had uh, bases loaded, and uh, Jeff Barry was up, who was, who was a very good hitter. And I knew once we got to him that we were going to win this game. He hits a ball in right field, two-run score, and we won the game. Nice. After I thought I lost. <laughs> and I was all set. I'm never going to win watermelon. And so that was a really good year for me um, as far as 1978 was concerned, at yeah. least from uh, having some, some, you know, some success as a, as a player and, and as a coach. Yeah. And uh, another uh, camper who I became friends with over the years was, was Ken Gorlick. And Ken – you know, was always giving me a hard time that year. Had I picked him to be uh, on, because it was soccer major, I was also ah. coaching soccer major because I was a soccer guy. And because the previous year I picked him and I won in 1977 mm. as the coach of, a, of my soccer major team. So had I picked him in 1978, I probably re- would have repeated. And he didn't, he, uh, you know, would always remind me of that fact. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I had a, a really uh, great year. Um, in 1978, nice. as, they had, uh, as a third year JC, I was a, I was selected to be head JC too, mm. so that was really nice. So it was that was an outstanding year for me. Yeah, very cool. And so then you took a year off. I took a year off and then came back in 1980. So in 1977, mm. if I'll share my other link to this wonderful camp, please do. As a counselor, especially as a JC, and, and as a senior counselor as well, when visiting weekend happens, or is coming up, as a counselor, you're always looking forward to meeting maybe, uh, or having a little fling with a camper sister who's coming up, you know, for oh, the weekend. sure. So, <laughs> 1977, visiting weekend, and by this time, they had changed how visiting weekend was structured. I don't recall how many years ago they did that, mm. where it was just one day. Gotcha. They would come in the morning. The parents would come in the morning. We would serve lunch on the campus with the benches all around, and I think it was barbecue beef I think we would have, mm. uh, and some other um, delicious food. And then for a few hours, the parents were then allowed to take their children, their, their, their sons, off of the grounds okay. and do whatever. So 1977, um, you know, by uh, on Thursday, you know, that preceding that weekend, a lot of the family started to come up to Ojibwa, and we always knew where to go. We would go to Eagle Waters Resort because that's where you know a lot of people stayed. And gotcha. So I was there uh, that Thursday night, and I uh, was at the bar having a a, a drink. Um, Tom Collins, I don't know, I remember that. And, of course, I was only 17. You're not supposed to be able to do that, but we could do that up in the, up at camp at that time. Sure. Uh, that was the great thing about being a counselor. You can get <laughs> into the bars, and I'm sure uh, others will admit that fact. Right. And so I crossed the way. Um, I saw this pretty girl, and we kind of caught eyes. And it was Barry Feldman and a few other guys. I think Ken Roffey might have been there, maybe David Manners. You know, they, 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 I don't believe they were concerts at that time, but they mm-hmm. would come in for the weekend, visiting weekend too, and visit. And I think Barry and I saw that we were sort of catching eyes with each other. And he walked over. Her name was at the time Cheryl Roth. And he walked over Cheryl. And Cheryl and I instantly, you know, just gravitated to each other. Nice. Cheryl was up there visiting um, her brother, who at the time was, at the time, her brother was David Roth. Okay. Um, he was in Cabin 7. And her dad had remarried, um, and his wife at the time, she had three sons there, the oh. Levin boys, Mark, okay. Paul, and Ross, if you've ever sure. talked to any of them. And so Cheryl reluctantly went up 
to that 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 weekend with her dad, <laughs> and we just hit it off instantly. And through that initial connection, we started dating. So this is now the summer of '78, going into my uh, '77, '78, going into my last year in high school. Okay. And I was a South Sider at Homer Philosopher High School, and Cheryl is a North Sider. Uh, out of Glenview, and Brutal. I would come up every other weekend, and then sure. we ended up going to college together. To say the least, we also uh, dated for many years, and then married, and nice. still married after thirty, you know, thirty-one years. So that's amazing. Oji- so through Ojibwa, <laughs> I had met my wife. Wow! And going back to something I said earlier um, at my wedding, um, when my father, may he rest in peace, he he is part of his speech. He had talked about the Matazars. Mm. And how they introduced our family, you know, to camp, and then how through that connection, eventually, I met my wife, and how that blossomed into this long, into this relationship, and, and, and until we got married, and yeah. he personally thanked the Matazars for, you know, for being the force behind that. So, you know, thirty-one years later, Sharon and I are still happily married, and camp will obviously always have a place in my heart because of that. Oh, that's amazing! Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, usually, uh, sort of toward the end of this, I always ask, you know, how did, how did Camp Ojibwa affect your life? Um, obviously, that's a big piece of it. A huge piece of that. Yeah. So, so maybe, I, maybe you should have answered that question first. Now I want to come <laughs> up with this whole long story about but, meeting my wife there. But in general, uh, but let's go ahead and get into that a little bit. So even outside of that, obviously, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. But what did your, uh, the rest of your camp time, sort of how did that affect how you lived your life? Admittedly so. After 1980, and then you're in college, and then life moves on, and, and, and you know, I was going to college, and I was in Arizona at the time, and I, I didn't get ingrained into the culture of camp as much as perhaps a lot of other people did, including going to post-camp, and, oh, and, sure. and, and I never went to post-camp. Uh, I, I went one year. One year, Ojibwa experimented with a seven-weeks seven week camp and then the last week was this option to stay an extra week for post camp yeah I don't remember what year I think it was one of the years I was a junior counselor um, that was really the only time I was there because I was there anyway so I gotcha. never went to post camp um, I, I, I maintained um, you know touch with some of the some of the friends from, from camp certainly Mike and I maintain and continue to maintain you know a close relationship another general a person I met through Ojibwa who we've connected over the years Steve Utenoff another part of that connection. And so outside of that, um, you know, camp impacted me in that it changed my life. Mm. I met my wife through camp, but sadly I didn't get ingrained into the culture as I got older, going back and visiting in, you know, since 1980, uh, maybe two times that I was back to even Eagle river. Oh. Uh, and both of them were, were business related and, and both of them were off season, but I would purposely drive up because you could still drive, at least at that time, still drive right into the campgrounds. Sure. There was absolutely. no gate. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of walk around and there was no one there. So, uh, and, and one summer, uh, my friends and I, Brian included, Brett Keisha was there because we stayed at Brett's family's place across the lake. Um, you know, we did, you know, visit Ojibwa, might have been 81, 82 ish, you know, mm. it was the summer that, that we were there. 
Um, but again, outside of that, um, I, I, regretfully so, again, I didn't maintain that affinity sure. uh, with Ojibwa and the culture and something that I regret. I got you. Well, listen, the door's open. Uh, Post camp, plenty of room. Come on up. <laughs> but it's interesting you say that because I think there are, uh, you know, there are different types of people that go to camp. And there are certainly those people who never leave camp. You know, in one way or another, always find a way to sort of keep connected, and whether it's post camp or or just coming up to visit. You know, some of these guys, like I said, we call the old timers that still come to visit every year. But there are other people who camp kind of lives in a place for them. You know, they went to camp and it was this amazing experience, and it and it's not it's no less impactful than the guys who are there every day. It's just that that was a time and a place, and and life moved on. I was not in a fraternity in college. Just mm. wasn't my thing. I was a GDI, okay. a goddamn independent. So that's that's what you were. <laughs> if you weren't in a fraternity in, in college, you were a GDI. Gotcha. Camp was probably the closest thing I had to a fraternity. Gotcha. So and 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 to this day, um, I don't have a good recollection of people, but for some reason, I've been able to at least stay young somehow. Um, other than the gray hair that I have. <laughs> and and people occasionally, occasionally, I'll bump into someone from Ojibwa, and of course. They'll, they'll call me by Ziffo before, before, before Barry sure, or Z or whatever, and I'll come over and we'll talk. Um, so it, it's nice once in a while, you know, to bump into people and to have that legacy. Yeah. But camp um, always, again, has a, a place in my heart. You know, a, a vivid memory that I have from Ojibwa that I didn't share earlier, um, and you probably have heard this in some of these other podcasts, was in 1969 when, you know, Leo Jarosha came up to Ojibwa. And, sure. and I vividly remember, you know, when he came up that weekend and, and obviously with his wife's kids being there and, you know, him leaving during a key weekend during a Cubs series. <laughs> and I just vividly remember him coming up on the, uh, on the drive into Ojibwa and everyone was cheering and, you know, for, for Leo, cause at that time the Cubs were doing so well right, before the course. collapse happened. So, you know, and I look back and how beautiful it was and how great it was, certainly the food and everything else about the Ojibwa. It's just something that I'll never forget. Um, the trips that we had up into the upper peninsula and doing other things, canoe mm-hmm. trips and, you know, thing, porcupine mountains, when we go to porcupine mountains. So, you know, those are some memories, um, that will, always stay with me and I'm grateful that I had the opportunity you know to um to go to Ojibwa and be part of that culture forever yeah well I think that just about says it all did we miss anything not that I can recall other than bad things that happened to me that I won't go into (laughs) (laughs) like getting in trouble one time when I was a counselor in, in in my last year and and uh, something I probably shouldn't have done at camp, but I got beyond that. But other than that, <laughs> no. Um, everything else was, uh, I shared my memories and some of the connections. And hopefully I wanted to use this forum for those who listen to this to explain the, um, explain how I got this infamous nickname <laughs> that I'll never, um, you know, um, never let down. One thing that I wanted to just add was that when I got this, this nickname, the one thing I loved is because it never did get to my, to out south, to my friends, until my senior year in high school. Mm. And then somehow or another, once they knew about that nickname, then they also gave me our time. My soccer coach, my senior year in high school at the Homewood Flossmoor, which we were, by the way, one of the best teams in the area, you know, there was times where he would almost get, he would get on all fours and kind of imitate a pig. So, <laughs> you know, luckily I was a good sport about this, uh, you know, about having this nickname. Because at the end of the day, it was all in fun. Right. And it was right. never meant to hurt or anything like that. Well, sure. And that's why I've 
always, you know, accepted this, uh, you know, the, the, this nickname is more just being a way just to be fun and just make fun of people. So, <laughs> and certainly to tell the story on how I met my wife through Ojibwa, yeah. which is probably a unique story. I'm not sure how many uh, people sitting in this seat that, many. <laughs> uh, that can say that they met their wife um, through, you know, through Ojibwa. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Barry Cohen. Uh, how about that nickname? Ziffle. Man, sounds like he has never gotten away from that one. And uh, we're happy to celebrate it and its origin right here on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. A lot of fun. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org or swing by the website, CampOjibwaHistory.org and check out what's going on over there. New stuff popping up all the time. I am so close. I am literally today... The final warrior that I'm missing, except for, of course, 1941. But the final other warrior that I'm missing is on the way to my house today. So by the end of this week, I believe that we will have the entire set up. And for you guys from the uh, 79 to 83 years who haven't seen your warriors yet, they're coming. They're right there. We're so close. So I am excited about that. I'm so excited, in fact, that there's only one real way to celebrate getting the final warrior. And that's heading outside to have a cigar.